0: Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I am here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. I am back from Venice. I am invigorated and with a newfound appreciation for tidy cities, low levels of crime and heavily armed military police stationed at regular intervals throughout them.
1: I think that's the thing that people find one of the most noticeable and comforting, perhaps, elements of when they visit Italy for the first time. There really are a lot of police visible around the aren't there?
0: There are. Uh, some wearing quite snazzy capes.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. The Carabinieri in full dress gear is a... Well, when you, you see what our own poor dear Guardi have had to wear now in their latest iteration of the redesigned uniform, and then you see, say, two six-foot-four Carabinieri standing with their hands on the butts of their sabres in their capes and their curassar helmets outside of something like, oh, I don't know, the Victor Emmanuel, or I'm not, yeah, you think, oh, it's a bit flash, but it's kind of nice. But also the fact that they hang around rather casually with their Uzi or submachine guns or their Berettas or whatever they have. And there are just lots and lots of them. You've got, the, you've got the Carabinieri, you've got the Polizia, you've got the Vigili Urbani, you've got the, the Finanza, you've got the Giza, you've got all these different places. And they're just when you come from a place where it feels like you actually notice that oh look, there's a there's a there's a guard. Look, there's a guard on the street. It's kind of comforting. And of course, Gary, you achieved many great things at work and uh, enjoyed many very fine PowerPoint presentations. I'm sure. Now, use the word "enjoyed" there uh, in a completely unironic way.
0: One one thing that was actually interesting. Uh, about it is Venice is just all very narrow winding streets high walls it's a city that should feel unsafe just because every it is so easy to get lost and it's an it's got an interesting feeling to it where the city is clearly decaying to some extent because of the the water and just how old it is but it doesn't feel like if you go to Detroit or Philadelphia in America you get this real sense of overwhelming urban decay whereas Venice seems to be being built up as quickly as it's taken down. But it feels like an exceptionally safe place. But the layout of it would be immensely conducive to crime.
1: Yeah, I have a suspicion that it is a very safe today, but that maybe sometime around 1775, if you had been an Irish traveller wandering around the back streets, it was a lot less safe.
0: I mean, it's got a layout that seems like designed for murder.
1: Yeah, designed for cut purses and uh, vagabonds.
0: I, I, one of the things I noticed about it was that, um because the, the layout of the city seems purely designed for crime, but feels exceptionally safe. Whereas I don't get that feeling in Dublin anymore.
1: Uh-huh. Well, you see, it, there are those guys who feel that we have a problem not just with crime, but also with punishment. To give it, throw a bit of a, a Dostoevsky segue in there. See, it, see how I did that? Yes, it's it it's it's been it's been a. A funny time lately with uh, judicial decisions not meeting with universal approval.
0: Yes, and and we saw actually there during the week, uh, the Irish Penal Reform Trust, they were out on the radio, they were out in news talk, I think, talking about uh, mandatory sentencing guidelines. And it's quite interesting, Michael, the Irish Penal Reform Trust, the executive director, Molly Joyce, said that there was no value in mandatory
1: sentencing guidelines. On what basis? What was, what shall we say? Were the hard parameters for making that decision? Is, is there empirical evidence that is there empirical evidence for what that the people who get mandatory sentences commit crime at the same levels as people who don't? I don't know. What does she mean by that?
0: Well, she brought up a couple of points. Firstly, she said that um, it has the potential for injustice because it removes the ability uh, the, the discretion of a judge to take into account personal circumstances. She said there was little evidence that it actually works as a deterrent. And if it doesn't work as a deterrent, there's no value to actually introducing these sentences. And then she said, well, it could lead to sentence inflation.
1: Wow. No. Sentence inflation.
0: Yeah, which is a phrase I'd never heard before. I mean, I've heard people discussing the idea of harsher sentence, but never never is inflation. So she said that would be terribly concerning if people started getting harsher sentences because it's expensive to the state, and uh, prisons are
1: overcrowded. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I am on the face of it, convinced that her real concern here is the expense to the state.
0: I have no doubt, Michael, that the Irish Penal Reform Trust's primary concern is the state's financial health. In the same way, Michael, I'm sure if in response to her saying prisons are overcrowded, the government announced that it would build a new prison, they would have to oppose that purely on the grounds, Michael that it would be an undue burden on the state's finances, and not because they would oppose any and all movements in that measure for any reason they could desperately cling to.
1: Absolutely. The Irish Peel uh, Reform Society has a long tradition going back, I think, probably to the Victorian era, of opposing unnecessary fiscal burdens on the taxpayer. They are famously concerned about the taxpayer. And I think we need to. We should. We should salute that. There are not enough people out there pretending. I almost said pretending, Gary. It's weird. Protecting, protecting the the taxpayer from the voracious wolf that is the tax-consuming state. Now there are those, Gary. who would say, well, we have to put them somewhere because putting people out in the street with two hundred convictions and never sending them anywhere isn't working and if the gaff we have at the moment is in fact overcrowded and to the point that judges have become reluctant to send more people out of some kind of humanity or practicality then we may indeed have to build another prison and much like you might need to build three or four 600 bedroom hotels in Dublin to deal with the problem of capacity we may need to build a big old prison just to deal with the capacity problem.
0: Criminology, I must say, Michael, is an absolutely fascinating field. Particularly modern criminology. Uh, because, I mean, some have said, Michael, that it was the first field to fall after sociology and is now so unbearably political and ideological that it really bears no relation to any sort of academic field at all as opposed to just pure, unadulterated activism that you could hook right to your veins. Yeah, but Gary...
1: The kind of people that say that are not the kind of people that you or I would want to spend time with.
0: No, I, but I must say, I found it quite difficult to get explanation for one particular thing that is very popular with criminologists. The idea that you know, uh, things like three-strike rules don't work, that mandatory sentences don't work. Because one of the most commonly replicated and strongest held findings in the history of criminology, Michael, is this. A very small percentage of the population create or causes the vast majority of crime. Yes, it's, it's the Pareto Principle, but even stronger aligned. Like you're talking a couple of percent of the population responsible for vast, vast quantities of crime. Do you remember there was that um, terrible, terribly tragic um, automobile accident, Michael, where those people suspected of being a burglary gang were all killed and the crime stats notably dropped? Because I think four or three or four people died,
1: yeah, right? uh, one senior policeman commented afterwards that there had been a noticeable dis- decrease in that certain kinds of crime against property in South Leinster afterwards, and he seemed to be suggesting that there was some kind of a connection between the two events,
0: Yes, it's always something I've wondered when people you know come out and say that these things don't work, given that that finding is so strongly mm. validated. And, well, if those people are in prison, what crimes could they commit? And that reminded me that we only ever talk, Michael, about deterrence and rehabilitation. But traditionally, there were actually five different aspects that were considered when one considered whether a punishment was just or effective. And it wasn't just deterrence and rehabilitation. There was also, for instance, uh, Michael, incapacitation. The idea that, well, sometimes you imprison someone so that they can't commit other crimes. Or, and this, is, this has fallen very dramatically out of fashion, retribution. The idea that you imprison someone because they deserve to be punished. I know there's also restitution, but that's, you know, not
1: always a factor. Restorative justice. Yeah, I'm not sure how much retribution has fallen out of favour. It seems to me that Retribution is still fundamentally the single most important, the underlying force behind the reason why we we punish people. I mean, it was always; it's always been the case that if you want to look at the the the, the morality, the, the morality or the ethics of punishing people, why do you punish people? Why can you punish people? And there was always retribution, reform, or deterrence. And the problem, at least sort of philosophically, the problem is. Deterrence doesn't require guilt to work. You don't have to actually do anything to guilty people to work. So, for example, if you had evidence that uh, guillotining people, cop- cutting people's heads off in the public square was a deterrent against certain kinds of crime, and I'm willing to believe it might be, and I think there is actually. I mean, people always say there's no evidence, but actually there is some evidence, not bad evidence, that... In certain cases, in certain ways, that uh, capital punishment can be a deterrent. The thing is, if you want to deter people, you could pick anybody and cut his head off and say, "Well, he was a murderer, and we've cut his head off," uh, because the effect is not on him; it's on other people. I
0: mean, Michael, it does have a it does have a strong incapacitation.
1: I don't have the incapacitation, the recidivism rate rate Gary is extremely low. I'm merely pointing out that if your concern is deterrence. You can deter people by putting innocent people in prison just as much as you can put as guilty people. It doesn't actually make any difference. As regards reform, how much successful reform actually ever takes place, Gary? I mean, you've been reading, you've read about this, i read a little bit about this over the years, and the strong feeling you have is there are lots of very decent, very good, very well-minded people involved all, all over the world in programmes, trying to find ways of reforming, generally speaking, doesn't end particularly well. I think a lot of the time, the best you can hope for, maybe to get move away from the word reform, in fact. Hmm. Rather, for example, I don't know what the numbers are today, Gary, but I remember when I, I, I had to do uh, a bit of research on juvenile crime and juvenile incarceration in this country and the costs in fact which are horrendous by the way keeping somebody keeping one young person in a juvenile detention center we're not talking it's tens hundreds of thousands it's incredible but the illiteracy rates in prisons in ireland and britain are incredibly high functional illiteracy amongst the prison population and there is some evidence that at least Getting people who are leaving prison to be able to read and write does help because in the contemporary economy, being innumerate and illiterate means that the choices, the economic choices available to you are pretty limited. And simply by teaching people to read and write and giving them some basic skills can, can actually make a real difference.
0: In In general, rehabilitation rates are exceptionally low and are artificially buoyed by the fact that a lot of people who commit quite serious crimes are unlikely to re-offend. For instance, murder is often often done by people who just will never do it again. Some There was a very particular circumstance. It was a crime of passion, whatever. But murderers actually tend to, to have relatively low recidivism rates, uh, unless they're the sort who already have 200 convictions before they murder someone, and that's a very different kind of kettle of fish.
1: So it's, it's, uh, to, to explain to the listener, It's imagine you're married to Gary, And then imagine you killed him. No, I think most people could imagine those two things pretty easily. But most people would accept that Gary's wife is a perfectly nice person, very nice person indeed. And except for having fallen into the horrendous circumstance of having married Gary, she would never have killed anybody. And now, not being married to Gary anymore, she won't kill anybody ever again. So even though she's committed a very serious crime, fact is she's probably not really what we would call a criminal just maybe just unfortunate, who had a circumstance which would be under control. And so in those kinds of crimes, you're not going to see people. But if you see somebody with 200 cases of burglary and assault and battery and that kind of thing, then they, that may well be a different kettle of fish. Yes, I
0: mean, as you as you say, Michael, I don't think anyone could hold that against her. As they say in Texas, some people just need killing.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's actually, I, that's, I'm sure that's from a Western, so... Some men just need killing.
0: One interesting thing about rehabilitation, other than it's it's you know, how generally ineffective it is, uh, regardless of where you go. Certain societies tend to be more successful at others. But oftentimes when you go to those societies and you, you experience what it's like in those countries, you very rapidly realize that that's due to very particular cultural factors that can't be exported. So you see people taking other countries' prison systems and getting absolutely nowhere near the same results. And then there's always an assumption that, well, it's because we haven't copied it correctly. But oftentimes they have. It's just they're not the same kind of people. Uh, But one thing that is, is particularly interesting about rehabilitation is you've seen a growing trend amongst the people who are working with prisoners to move from prisoners should be rehabilitated to prisoners are just a product that their crimes are products of their social factors and ultimately they don't need to reform because it's society who has done this to them (laughs) at which point you do have to wonder what the value of a rehabilitation system is that tells criminals well this isn't your fault and that seems to be the way uh, certain fields are going Rehabilitation, I think the actual major problem with it is that it, it is very heavily used in the Irish um, justice system, by which I mean Irish judges very strongly take into account their feelings about whether or not you're going to re-offend, as in what type of person you are. And the problem there is that the concept of justice requires that two people who have committed the same crime in the same circumstances should receive similar sentences, because the actual punishment needs to be understandable. It needs to be perceivable. And yes, personal circumstances can come into it. But it seems that judges across Ireland do not have any sort of uniform judicial philosophy. And you're, see, you're seeing sentences given out that, when put against other sentences in the same category, just don't seem to make sense.
1: In sense, what a fundamental problem for the state if a state is tried to be an ethical state is. That when it comes to the application of justice or what we give out as justice, there is an element there of lottery to this. The the criminal has, or the accused, shall we say, the accused citizen has no power or capacity to influence the choice of judge in uh, his criminal trial. However, that random assignment of a judge between two similar cases can have dramatically different outcomes. Where in one case maybe the accused will walk away with an eighteen month suspended sentence and if they're a good boy for the rest of the time, never serve a day inside in prison. Somebody else may actually end up spending three years in the joy. And it's not simply a question that you know, well, it's a bad thing because you, the fact that the guy gets only 18 months, that affects our deterrent capacity for crime because, again, the whole question of deterrence is sceptical about it. But rather, there's an actual injustice there. Somebody has been treated unjustly. Either the guy who got 18 months suspended or the guy who got three months. But certainly somebody's got it up the arse. And it shouldn't be a lottery for justice. There should be a degree, if we're going to try and be an ethical state as much as we can, there needs to be a certain degree of consistency in the point, because this is very, very serious. I don't know if you've ever seen any films based on prison life, Gary. I have seen a number. And if if they're being made as adverts for prisons, they fail miserably, because I've never seen a prison film that made me want to go there. I am very, very motivated not to go to prison. And if you have a system where some people are going to prison and some people are not for doing the same thing, that's wrong. Sending someone to prison is a very serious thing indeed, and it shouldn't be based on whether or not you get judge A or judge B. It should be based on what you have done to the state or to your your fellow citizens.
0: There's all, all this talk about judicial discretion, but there is, I think, a question of to what extent discretion has degenerated into arbitrariness. Things just happen. If you get the right judge, you're fine. If you don't get the right judge, you're screwed. Uh, and yes, that that is offensive to the idea of justice. If you actually want to talk about deterrence, Michael, um, and I'm not terribly familiar with actually the the research on mandatory minimum sentencing guidelines, particularly. I am, however, generally familiar with the um, research on deterrence more broadly, and. If you want to actually use punishment as uh, a deterrent, it generally needs to be three things. It needs to be certain, it needs to be immediate, and it needs to be severe.
1: I certainty is, i sorry, do you mean certainty as in the level of belief that a person has that they will in fact be caught for committing a crime?
0: Yes, that you will be caught and that upon being caught that you will receive a punishment for that.
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's been fairly well established for a long time, that the real, the deterrence is the idea that you can simply add on, instead of making it 10 years for a crime, you make it 50 years for a crime, that will add deterrence, that you know, unless you increase the sense of risk to the criminal, the sense of danger, that they will, in fact, most likely be caught if they do this. Deterrence, simply by increasing punishments, without increasing the risk of being caught, doesn't do anything. But if you do create a sense, I will actually be caught and brought to trial and convicted. Well then that will that will be deterring.
0: Mm. So interestingly, the Irish system fails on all of those grounds because the actual rate of, of success for the police investigating crimes, particularly low-level crimes, and you see this in England as well, is, is absolutely abysmal. So there's no certainty you'll be caught. If you do get caught... God knows how many years it could take to go to trial.
1: You it's might okay. get there. What do we mean when we when we say a low level crime?
0: What you see, particularly in in Western Europe over the last while, is partially due to stretched budgets and partially just due to, I think, uh, shall we say, leadership failures. A, a move to take certain crimes less seriously, like your low level stuff, like bike thefts, you know, low level assaults, pickpockets, stuff like that. There seems to be. a just very little focus on actually solving these things, even where it would be trivial to solve them. Someone gets something stolen from outside their house, but they have that person on CCTV, and it's a case of the police just finding it. Even stuff like that commonly fails. So you have an immediate question of, well, you've no certainty that the police are actually going to take this seriously. And one would expect criminals being rather attuned to these things Get a sense of where the priorities of the police in their area are pretty quickly. And kind of know, well, if you go here, they're probably not going to look into it too much, if at all. So you have that. Once you are actually, if you are actually picked up and you do go to trial, that might happen quite quickly. Or it may not happen for rather a considerable period, which isn't fair to either the accused or the the, the alleged victim. Um, and then you have issues of things like cards not turning up to courts and things like that. And then if you get the severity of punishment, there's no certainty there either, because you can poll someone who has a rather lenient judicial philosophy and you get a suspended sentence and you just go back out and do it again. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I have a, an idea, Michael, that I think will take care of the Irish Penal Reform Trust's concerns about prison sizes and financial constraints on the state and Will actually help us move things along in a um, in a fashion, Michael, that I think takes in both deterrence, incapacitation, rehabilitation, uh, retribution, and restitution.
1: Wow! Yes. Oh, I just I mean I'm I am a gog. Tell tell the nation.
0: Well, what I think we should bring back is public caning.
1: Public caning
0: of the type they use in Singapore.
1: Yeah, they. I don't know. Do they still do it? Oh well, even if they did it in the Isle of Man, I'm not sure if it was public. Okay, public guy. So where's the where? How do I? What do I get out of that? I mean, you mentioned restorative of justice or something, rest restitution. I, I I'm not seeing what I'm getting out of that.
0: Dinner and a show.
1: Dinner.
0: <laughs> okay. But well, for all this talk of of. restorative justice being this chance to sit down with the person who killed your son and have them talk about how killing your son has made them very sad. I think there is actually an element there which is just the enjoyment of seeing pain inflicted on someone who hurt you. Now some people might would say that that's cruel and unusual punishment to which I say it's only unusual if you don't do it a lot and we would be. And cruel, well, is it better to put them in prison for years, Michael, to restrict their freedom like that? No, a short, sharp caning session just will clear the books out a lot quicker.
1: I suppose you could do a night of it, you know, selection, because otherwise it's all going to be over rather quickly. (laughs) Dinner and a show, yeah.
0: I mean, obviously we can't expect the state to provide the dinner, but like the show, and you can have dinner, but no one can stop you.
1: No, I thought, the, I thought the state might provide the dinner, or, or indeed the uh, the the subject of the caning might part of his uh, restorative justice would be the provision of dinner.
0: Yes, and people very rarely die from being caned. So
1: well, I don't know if that's true. I I think that in uh, Saudi it does happen quite a bit, doesn't it? People who are who are given more uh, severe sentences of lashes. Uh, I think it's an interesting idea, Gary. I think it's an, it's intriguing. Uh, I think that the Irish sensibility... Actually, I was about to say that the Irish sensibility you know, would find the thing... Actually, I think that's true at all. I think my sensibility would find it problematic. But I think that actually there's a large swathe of people out there who would buy tickets and would sit there sipping a glass of sherry and nibbling on a macadamia nut and say to each other, when is the next beating going to start? That was a bit quick.
0: Every town in Ireland, rural and in the big cities, has those people that are just commonly known as miscreants. You know, the sorts who are always just causing trouble. Or, you know, Perhaps there are burglaries, things like that. I think it could be a real community building moment when that person is dragged into a public uh, public square and whipped.
1: They may be called miscreants in Navon. I, we have a different word for them uh, down here, but not one that I would like to use, even though we do swear this is not a word I would like to use. I don't think there may well... You may, have, I don't, you may have an idea here. I did have an idea many years ago for the development of tourism in Gori that every year there would be a big lottery you could sell maybe 10,000 tickets, and whoever won the lottery uh, you would get crucified on Good Friday as a kind of a, re- a reenactment of the Passion, like they do in the Philippines. And the idea was, okay, one person would get crucified, actually crucified, but it would be a public affair, but you couldn't get a ticket to the crucifixion unless you had entered the raffle, you see? And, you know, I think you get a lot... You, you could do the thing over, like, two weeks, have a knockout section, you know, like a you know, whittling down the numbers, 10,000, 5,000, 1, that kind of thing. Get out tourist in. You might be able to meet, ma- sort of match up that idea, right, with your idea, and as a kind of a, a, a tourist uh, event. But, you we'll know, build it up a bit, you know, flesh it out.
0: If we want to talk about... Um the restitution side of things you could let the victim's family carry out the caning or some portion of the caning
1: yeah but only if they wanted to you wouldn't make
0: only if you would no i mean that would be cruel um but no i i actually think all jokes aside you can make a very strong argument for the reintroduction of corporal punishment like caning and whipping on the grounds it is more humane than prison
1: well i think there is an argument there certainly and I, I mean, not. I'm not being flippant here because obviously we're talking about degrees of severity, although it d- depended on the Christian brother involved. Um, I was in second year in secondary school when legislation was introduced in the country that banned the use of corporal punishment. Now, I'm not sure if it banned it in all schools or just in public state funded schools. It banned the use of corporal punishment. And there was a poll taken of students in my school whether or not they approved, whether they were happy or unhappy or whatever with the banning of corporal punishment. Overwhelmingly, Gary, the students, the children, voted to retain corporal punishment on the basis that they had a, there was the dread prospect of things co- which we had never experienced, but we had seen on television like detention and essay writing and uh, extra homework. And all of these things are essentially proxies for prison if if you if you think about it and the, the strong sense amongst the- population of the school was we much preferred the idea of a short sharp shot bang 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 on the hand or wherever, but where we were it was on the hand, and it was over with and it was sore, it stung you, you, put, you at least you got to get out. But the prospect of being stuck for two or three hours on a Saturday afternoon or a Friday or an evening after school doing detention, which, as I say, is basically prison, that people found very, very horrible. And if, you know, I don't know. I think that a lot of people, if they're given the choice between flogging and an extended period in prison, I mean, I have horror. I mean, I think the idea of being incarcerated is absolutely horrific. We're also stuck. I mean, also speaking seriously, Gary, are we not kind of stuck with prison in a way as a punishment? I mean, for a very long time in 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 society, we didn't have prisons. We had different kinds of punishments: physical beating, torture, a lot of executions. People were killed for an awful lot more. We had we sent them to Australia. We did lots of things. We didn't imprison them. In, Prison really, is, as a as a mass kind of a thing, it's a nineteenth century idea. We've had it for a couple of hundred years now. I think that we are, in a sense, imaginatively stuck. That we need we should really be looking at different ways of dealing with criminals than simply this idea. I mean, I can understand the sense of incapacitation seems to me to be more sensible thing that we know. There's a small proportion of people who actually do most of the crime. We know that. We also know that most most crime is committed by men or males, say between the ages of say sixteen and twenty five. And if we we, we take that it's incapacitating people in those groups means that you actually have a safer place and less crime. Well, is there a way we can do that without prison? It feels like it's and it is expensive, Gary. I mean, doctor, it is a very expensive way of doing things. It may be the only way, maybe the best way, I don't know. But I think maybe we could look at other ways.
0: I think of prison, actually, in relate in relation to corporal punishment, in much the same way I think about the shift from bare-knuckle boxing to gloved boxing. Bare-knuckle boxing, there's, you know, the knuckles are sharp. You can cut people, you can, they'll bleed. It is unpleasant to look at compared to boxing with gloves on, Michael. Absolutely, yes. The problem, of course, is that boxing with gloves on while looking far less violent is actually substantially more damaging because the fact that your hands are gloved means you can throw shots to the head that you couldn't do uh, if your hands were ungloved. bare knuckle boxing, you are very careful about shots to the head because if you hit the wrong place or you hit at the wrong angle, uh, you'll break your own hand. So what happened was they sanitised the appearance of boxing, but massively increased the rate of traumatic brain injury. And I kind of feel like that about prison. We it is put away from us, and we don't need to see anything that's happening there. It seems civil and and sort of respectable, not pleasant, but respectable.
1: No, I think that may maybe a, a reasonable analogy. Yeah. So
0: I think that's when when you talk about corporal punishment, people have this look of horror. But I would make this point, Michael, we, we talk about uh, errors in judgment and, and why we can't have things like the death penalty because there could be an innocent person punished. Is it not better if you have something like corporal punishment, like caning, where an innocent person is caned, which is obviously a mistake, but if your alternative is that, okay, that innocent person is not caned, so it doesn't look bad, but we put them in prison for 10 years before it's found that they were incorrectly put in. That's very, very bad. The corporal punishment actually lessens the impact when there is a miscarriage of justice because it is done and it's over. Whereas prison, I mean, there have been cases, Michael, of people spending 20, 30 years in prison and then found to be wrongly imprisoned. I suspect those people, if given the chance, would have probably taken the caning. (laughs)
1: Well, <laughs> You'd imagine that after 30 years in prison, other than the fact that they've, they've just horrendously lost 30 years of their life, that they, their, their, their capacity to live in, has been materially affected by their institutionalisation of spending 30 years in prison. And, and have they not only lo- robbed the 30 years before them, they've robbed their future as well.
0: And the other benefit, of course, is that if you use things like public caning, things like that, with no imprisonment component... Well, then you don't put people in a giant building full of other criminals that they can talk to about the best way to commit crimes.
1: Yeah, you you cut the university of crime aspect out of it. But, Gary, the problem is if you, well, the problem, there may be more than one, is if you're talking about this to people who work in the area of criminology, crime, there was their fundamental understanding of any, to to the extent that uh, justice is necessary, justice is either about, reforming the person as in and reform again is a 19th century word and a 19th century notion modern criminology actually is not about reform it's essentially a psychotherapeutic approach that something has happened it's a kind of a Foucaultian idea although really Foucault opened up the prisons and some of these people would it's a psychotherapeutic approach and so we have to help these people deal with whatever the issues are caused by the alienating nature of society which has produced this hostility in them which leads to criminality, so we need to psychotherapeutically approach it. So it's reform or maybe the less soft hearted, the less whatever, believe it's a deterrent. But none of them really believe in the notion of retribution because they so they think that re- retribution is actually simply revenge, yeah. that we are engaged as a society in taking revenge on these people and that revenge is morally wrong therefore we have to move away from that notion completely so that retro we can call it retribution but in fact it's simply society taking its anger out on an individual that's a bad thing so we need to stop doing it and i think that whatever you can say about prison that beating somebody on the arse with a cane, is fairly explicitly society taking its anger out on someone.
0: I would I would make the point here, Michael, that rather than disagreeing with them, and I think you can, you can make the, the very clear point that there is a difference between you know, bloody revenge and a society saying, we will not accept these things and there will be a punishment if you do them, and being upfront that that is the way this will go. Uh-huh. I would make the point that the... Punishment of someone who has committed a crime and has done something which a society can rightfully view as either morally outrageous or harmful to that society's interests. I think in those cases, punishment is just. That retribution is just and defendable on those grounds. And I know that's a very old-fashioned idea, Michael.
1: Very, very, very old-fashioned.
0: But I think, you know... I just feel that, you know, if someone, let's say, rapes someone and you know they're never going to do it again for whatever reason, it's still perfectly acceptable for society to go, well, it doesn't matter if you're not going to do it again. You've done it once. And on that basis, we are going to punish you very severely. I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. I do also note and these odd arguments you hear occasionally where let's say someone is sent uh, arguing for the death penalty. And you yeah. hear these very reasonable NGO types say, well, one of the reasons we shouldn't have the death penalty is because, you know, isn't them staying in prison for the rest of their life crueler? Okay. I don't know. Have you heard that? Well yeah, many times. And I just, every time it happens, I just, there is a sort of a, when I think of things like corporal punishment and the death penalty, I don't select them because I think they're cruel. I select them because I think there are occasions where they are just. So this whole, would oh, be crueler to have them live their whole lives in prison. Well, that's not the point, though, is it?
1: It's also kind of bizarre that what they're effectively doing, even if they realise, they're effectively advocating for a system based on cruelty, because they like it.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if it's because these people just can't, they are so respectable, so so standard, that they can't see why anyone would support corporal punishment other than a desire for cruelty, or if they themselves actually quite like cruel systems.
1: I don't want to get too deep into delving into the psychopathology of an Irish liberal progressive type because that's a kind of a pan's labyrinth i don't think i'd ever get out of but let's just say that there are, we can agree to the screen but i say build an, and build a big one and put it somewhere nowhere near me
0: i would also say actually we, we were talking just to expand on the boxing analogy we were talking about michael where i think you've actually seen that do the most harm other than the the fact we've now gone for prison over any other type because it just looks better is in, and you see it particularly in America, the death penalty. The death penalty in state after state has been messed around with, with the aim to make it more humane. But when you actually look at what's being done, it hasn't made it more humane, it's made it much worse. What it's done is made it cleaner, has made it less distressing for other people to see. So we moved away from things like hanging, the garage, uh, firing squads, although people forget firing squads were generally used on people who were deemed to have some level of honour or distinction, or some measure of worth, and we ended up moving to things like lethal injections, where, Michael, the people are first uh, injected with a paralysing agent, so that, you know, those watching don't have to see that this person is dying by poison. And if you recall, Michael, there was that little bit of an issue a while ago, where it turned out that the paralyzing agents uh, were not working quite as advertised. And instead of, you know, gently putting someone to sleep, they were actually awake the entire time. They just couldn't move.
1: All all of the moves. I mean, partly what happened, it just was a a kind of a love for modernity and a love for technology, but also this sense of creating distance between the executioner and the executioner. The there is a term for someone who's being executed, but I can't remember what it is now. Anyway, it, it was a, a, the, both it, that this will be more humane, this will be better and cleaner. the The truth is, we have actually created systems because electrocution can go wrong, and what can go wrong will go wrong, and has had. There have been horrible stories of cruelty of, of execution, gassing the same. When you hear descriptions of people when they were gassed and the gas and, and and the lethal execution. The lethal injection, this, I think people are very attracted to it because it was like, you know, you you bring your old dog down to the vet and he gives them injection and they just quietly go away to sleep. And that's what we want. But that's not what happens with lethal injection. I mean, not what has happened with lethal injection. Have you ever... Uh, there's a film out there with starring Thim, Timothy Spall. who's a very fine actor. And I think, is it called... The Struggling Man. Anyway, it's about the life of Albert Pierpoint, the last hangman in the United Kingdom, who also acted as a hangman over here because we uh, when we had capital punishment, we didn't. We never actually had it. The state never employed a hangman, so we used to get the hangman in from outside. Anyway, Gary he, and the film is very interesting for him. He, he ends up being opposed to capital punishment, but he's absolutely dedicated, shall we say to his craft. And he got it down so he could get the prisoner from the the holding cell into the death chamber and dead in less than ten seconds. And while we don't like the look of it and the image and the whatever, hanging properly executed, it's uh, is it's easy, instantaneous at least.
0: Also, you know, in many countries, if you, they tried to hang you and failed, they'd eventually let you go.
1: They would actually let you go, yeah. There's...
0: yeah. I think it was why you needed to survive three attempts and then they're like, well, God is on your side, clearly. Go now and sin no more.
1: Well, we associate guillotining with the, the Revolutionary France, but guillotining was used in France and parts of Germany uh, all through the 20th century. I think Vietnam was the last country to officially abolish guillotining. But I think the guillotine is probably more humane, if that's really what you're talking about.
0: Prisons and corporal punishment are, are a very interesting area because they cause such a strong reaction in people, either usually against with modern sensibilities. But then, I mean, the things we've talked about, things like the executions, the prison, be, they're cleaner. There's more distance between them. So there's a strong emotional response in support of that sort of thing. But when you actually look at it, I think it is worth considering whether or not your response is actually because the welfare of prisoners is actually higher or because you just don't morally or aesthetically like it. And you don't care if it's worse as long as it looks prettier.
1: It's a bit like, it's not very nice and nice, but it's a bit like our approach to food. Not that long ago. Nobody would have been particularly well—not nobody, but the vast majority would not have been actually particularly upset if you had insisted that they saw where their food came from. If I'm, you're talking about meat, because a lot, a lot of people would have had some kind of exposure to a slaughtering. I mean. In some countries, they still do. I mean, certainly in small towns in Italy, all over Italy, there are still, there's still a strong tradition of people either raising a pig or buying a pig, which then they would slaughter, and then they would make salamis and hams and whatever. But as a society, we've become mostly far distant from the slaughterhouse. And blood upsets us. And the I think in this case, the idea of, say something like the guillotine, the idea of human blood and a head being decayed, it's just really, ah. Uh, it's an ick factor. It's a very strong ick factor, and that's really what repels us and Because we have that immediate emotional response, I think what happens when we have that kind of response is we stop there that's and then we we don't continue down the line and think further about that. We just have this immediate reaction, this kind of visceral emotional response. we stop there and say, "No, don't like, but that's the response of an infant. You know? No, don't like. It's not the response of, of an adult.
0: So in closing, corporal punishment. More humane, more just, more efficient. It's good that you um, agree with me, Michael.
1: I, I, by the way, as the listener, I'm sure has intuited, I'm not necessarily agreeing with Gary here. I think I've made some strong points. Oh, very strong points, Gary. Very strong points. And if I see you coming coming at me with a cane, I shall move very quickly in the opposite direction.
0: Well, I think on, on that basis, i uh, we had planned to talk much less about this topic but I think we've actually run our time purely on this Michael you'll have to wait till next week to talk about Bertie Ahern and the King returning ah,
1: planned Gary we planned yes because everything we do is so carefully planned we had yes but in time we had planned to talk less about this but there you go so we shall be back next Sunday like Bertie and we shall talk about The Return of the King then. But until then, mind yourself and have a good week. All the best.